Hello and welcome to Useful Idiot. <laughs> My name is Katya. Help. Katya Yakovlevna. What is it? I mean, what is it you helped me with, Matthew? <laughs> You're Katya Yakovlevna, I think, right? Your dad's a James, I think? Yes. So he's, he's, he, that'd be Yaakov, I'm pretty sure. Yaakov. Not that, that's not Ye- Jacob or it's that. So in, the, in Russian, your, your first and second names are your, your own name, then followed by your, like your patronymic. So it's like a, a play on your father's name. See, I'm sporting the merch. Oh my God. This is flying the flag, flying the flag. You know, Dan ironically cut out a great segment where I reported having broken my useful idiots mug. And I saw, showed the damage, the fallout, the broken, shattered mug. Yeah. And um, that was horrifying footage. I mean, I think that probably is what Rush made them realize, like they had to get on the ball and send you one because, right. you know, like, yeah, there was something about the urgency of the shattered mug. I'm sorry, not not horrifying. The word they use is harrowing. Harrowing, yeah. Harrowing, Harrowing. footage. Dan, um, did you cut that out because you didn't have time? Because I didn't do the trigger warning. It was a little too shocking, I think, for yeah. our viewers. And yeah, you're right. right. Anyway, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Kitty Helper. <laughs> you're Kitty Helper, and I'm Matt Taibbi. And uh, I don't know what happened this week. Stuff happened, right? So much stuff, yeah. Right. Should we gonna... just give a little teaser though about how who our guest is? Let's just say her say her name, Aaron Brockovich. Very excited about this. Aaron Brockovich is coming on the show today, which is totally cool. Yeah, and and, and actually has some, has something that is interesting and substantive and like kind of kind of harrowing also to talk about. Um, yeah, so even we're... more harrowing than the broken mug. Yeah, yeah, Shattered slightly. Mug. But we're looking forward to that, and then we got all kinds of uh, political shenanigans to discuss. Uh, yeah. So I guess should we just get right to it? Yeah, the four basic food groups, right? All right. So uh, first up is uh, Democrats suck, and I guess that's that's me. And uh, look, we have an obvious one. Uh, longtime friend of show. I mean, it, this is almost like a news item that happened specifically for us. I know. Uh, Joe Biden has nominated uh, Neera Tandon uh, to uh, head the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, which is it's bizarre on so many levels. Like uh, it, the the absence of expertise of, to just for people who don't know near attendant is the yeah. longtime head of the center for American progress. And she basically tweeted for a living. Like it's not really clear what, what the, uh, she, she did, uh, apart yeah. from doing repeating sort of DNC style messaging, uh, writ large, but and uh, I've, I'm not, the, I, I just want to say I've long called her the kind of the Trump, her Twitter, Twitter style Trumpian because stays up very late, says um, kind of inflammatory things. Yeah, um, she's, yeah. she's got a, and she's got a long record. She's really known for two things. She, she's known for tweeting and hating Bernie Sanders. Yes. And so p- putting her in the OMB because, where Sanders is going to be the ranking member of the budget committee, it's just such a gigantic F you to like the entire Sanders vote. Like, there's no way they weren't conscious of that. Um, it, and and I, I actually, this moves me over into like, I appreciate the humor of it. Like that's, yeah. it's, 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 it's rare for something to be that politically sadistic. Uh, yeah, it's almost like so on the nose. It's like almost a parody. Right. It's like yeah. a joke. It's a joke. It's like, you know, next they're going to name, uh, what are they going to do next? Name Neera Tandon? 
yeah, the head of the OMB, right? Yeah, yeah ex exactly. Yeah, so that so that happened, uh, and as as most of us know uh, who've followed the show, uh, she has a habit of saying some pretty nutty things and tweeting some pretty nutty things. So so in honor of that, uh, we figured we would play uh, a little game. I'll start. We'll do, we're, we're doing a guessing game where ba basically the idea is you have to guess whether uh, the person speaking is near a Tandon and uh, the the person I chose was Dick Cheney. So what I'm going to do, Katie, is I'm going to read two quotes. Okay. And I'm going to ask you to guess which one is near a Tandon and which one is Dick Cheney. Great. So I'll, I'll read an A and a B and you tell me which one A is and which one B is. Sure. Okay, so here, here, here's the first first one. If we're going to have a deal to address long-term deficit reduction, we need to put both entitlements on the table as well as taxes. So that's A, okay? B, this administration has no plan to cut entitlements, so they're gonna take a big cut out of defense instead. So which one which one is, is near at hand and which one's Dick Cheney? I mean, to be, all right, I would say A is Tandon, B is Cheney. That that is correct. Very good. So okay, one yeah. nothing, Katie. Yep. Okay, so now it's my turn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so who said it? Donald Trump or Neera Tandon? Okay. Okay. So here is quote A. Unless we take the oil from Libya, I have no interest in Libya. Libya is only good, as far as I'm concerned, for one thing. This country takes the oil. If we're not taking the oil, no interest. Okay. okay that's the first quote. And the second quote is, um, we have a giant deficit. Most Americans would choose not to engage in the world because of that deficit. If we want to continue to engage in the world, gestures like having oil-rich countries partially pay us back doesn't seem crazy to me. That's a little harder than I expected. I'm going to go B is Nira and A is Trump. Yes. Okay. Wow. But, that was, that was close. Uh, it was close. Right. And honestly, the only difference is she has a slightly more like academic, you know, slightly less thuggish uh, in this case, although we'll get to the thuggery in a second, but um, a slightly less, um, I mean, it's all in the, the, in the, in the phrasing. I mean, it's like the form, not the content. They're saying basically the same thing. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, of course, it was her administration, her team, uh, Hillary Clinton under Obama that, um, you know, helped overthrow Libya and turn it into uh, revitalize its booming slave trade. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, look, there's nothing, nothing more positive than American influence when it comes to these things. So. Actually, I think we should have a segment where we wokeify things, and that is, uh, that was the Obama administration um, centering um, the uh, slave trade, Libya's rich history. Yeah. Right. So both both centering and ele elevating um, the lived experience, the of, lived experience of of you know like slaves of yes it, yeah. Oh, slave traders. Sorry. Yeah, of slave trading. Yeah. yeah. Like, right, yeah. why should we in the West, why, why is that bad? I mean, look, cultures are different. We can't impose the idea that slavery is bad on Libyans. Right. Right. Exactly. 
that's just uh, it's cultural imperialism. Right yeah. Now. So we get, yeah, this is about sovereignty and autonomy. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, my, my uh, second pair really quickly, these are Libya quotes. So regarding Libya, I think it's a mistaken notion that we can just lay back and say, please, 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 pretty please to everybody else out there that somehow they'll step up. There isn't anybody else who can do it long term except the United States. That's quote number one. Number two, regarding Libya, is there any better reason for the use of U.S. power than to protect innocent civilians from slaughter by a madman? I'm Which of those is? I'm embarrassed is... to say I know that one. Wow. I'm sorry. Okay. This is such an unfair game. I'm really setting you up. I should count. You should get points for both of them. No, that's all right. That's all right. The, the second one is Nira. Okay. All right. That's true. You're right. But the can you one... read them again? Like, can you read the Dick Cheney quote again? I think it's a mistaken notion that we can just lay back and say, please, 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 pretty please to everybody else out there that somehow they'll step up. There isn't anybody else who can do it long term except the United States. And this is about invading Libya. I mean, honestly, I think if I hadn't or, you know, if I weren't so obsessed with Nira's wisdom, I wouldn't. I mean, that's hard to who do you think you could have told the difference? No, I wouldn't have known that. Right. I mean, there's like a 50-50 chance you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Really is, quickly, yeah. who do you, who who do you think it is? If, if, if this this last one is this is this Cheney or or Nira? Uh, we should not. We shouldn't just whack away at the defense budget. Oh, that's just on its own. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna. I would think Cheney, so I'm gonna guess Nira. It's Cheney. Okay. <laughs> we finally got a wrong answer. I know. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, so, yeah. so what, what do you got? What's the last one? Okay. Okay. Is this um. Nira Tandon or Tommy Wiseau in The Room? The Room. Do you know that movie? No. The Room? You have have to watch all of... You have to do a deep dive into this minute. Uh, Dan, would you explain what The Room is? So this this guy, Tommy Wiseau, that Katie just mentioned, that was an actor, kind of mysterious figure in L.A., I think, uh, who kind of funded his own movie that he was convinced was going to be incredible. It's insane. Don't click on the link, Matt, because you can't it, see it. Yeah. Yeah, and it has become we'll this kind of cult classic, and and it was so popular as as sort of like an ironically funny movie that recently there was an adaptation, kind of a biopic slash fictionalized making of this movie where I James, see. James Franco plays this guy Tommy. Of Wiseau. course, it's or, James Franco. Frank, yeah, James Franco. Right, it's James Franco and and his. Younger brother yeah. is also in the movie as his friend, I think. Yeah. Both both are good and worth watching. Okay. All right. I'll check it out. So, Nira Tandon or Tommy Wiseau. I did not slug him or her. I'll say him for both of them. Yeah. So, I did not slug him. That's one quote. And then, I did not hit her. Okay. So, I know the first one is, is Nira. Right. Yeah. and Because that, that's about... Uh, Fast Shakir. Yeah, Shakir. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you wouldn't have known necessarily, right? Yeah, if you hadn't, if you hadn't made the gender thing clear. Yeah, shit. I try. Yeah, you're right. Right. Because right, you, 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 you knew it had been fat. I, I tried to. I, we I trivial pursued yeah. our way through this whole thing. Like, yeah. None of None of us actually knew the answers, but we just we we used SAT logic to. to yeah. To, Except to, for me, where I actually just get no credit, and because right. I know them. And then I failed the only one I didn't know. Although I, that was, no, that was, I trivial pursued it. So, but Dan, uh, can we play that clip I sent you? All right, this is, yeah, this is a great example. A yeah. short snippet of what this movie is like. 
I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hey, Johnny. What's up? <laughs> so we should, like, do a cut of that. We should totally make it sound like that's... Someone has to edit a, a video where it's near Tandon saying that to... I don't know. Uh, She's got to have that same same wig on. I mean, it's not it's not her, totally unrelated extension. from the wig. Yeah. From the hair, I mean. The shoulder pads are kind of awesome, too. Yeah, that too. Oh, th- there's definitely footage of her with shoulder pads. So yeah. just saying out there, good video editors. So the, her quote, I, did not, I didn't slug him, I pushed I him. I pushed him, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is how she describes um, a physical attack. I mean, a physical, I don't know what you call that, but like she basically at CAP, Center for American Progress, um, Faz Shakir who would go on to be Bernie Sanders' um, campaign, campaign manager. manager. Uh, he made the... Oh, and actually, Faz was the person who didn't like Nira's idea about Libya, as quaint as it was. So that email exchange, which was released, Faz actually, Faz Shakir said, I don't think it's fair that we create our own domestic problems and then ask other nations to pay for it. You see the adverse incentive problem here, Right. If we think we can make money off of an incursion, we'll do it. That's a serious policy messaging moral problem for our foreign policy, I think. So this is uh, there are two battles between Nira and Faz that I chose to uh, quote. So this this one, though, one was, I guess, just ideological. The other one was physical. So she uh, Faz Shakir had the gall to ask Hillary, Hillary Clinton about uh, a, a, criti- a question that was critical of the Iraq war. And near Tandon, like every boss, we've all been there, responded to this by uh, pushing her employee in the chest. Now, witnesses say she punched him. Right. But hey, look, let's just downshift it to a Sure, push. let's downshift it. She, that's right. That's still um, near uh, telling the New York Times that she did indeed. What, what would you say? Pushed she physically him. I mean, engaged. She pushed him. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. No, she's, she's nuts. And I think, you know, in, in some, we can say basically her opinions on things like, you know, expansionist American foreign policy, uh, sort of neoliberal economics, uh, basically indistinguishable from like the Bill Crystals of the world. Right? Oh yeah. And he defended yeah. her on MSNBC, right? which is yeah. another great sign of the world that we have, that people think it's good for, that people, that MSNBC thinks it's an, a, an appropriate thing for Bill Crystal to be defending the attendant. I mean, it is an, it is appropriate, but it should be a scandal to have a, it, it should be hilarious. But it's not. It, right, it, would it, be, should, it should be, be a like a, an SNL, an SNL right. skit, but it's not. Yeah. I so. mean, we literally could joke. We could be like, what's next? Biden's going to name Nira Tandon, right? Or, right? And then it would be like, what's next? She's going to get endorsed by Bill Crystal, right? But no, both of those things happen. And I want to give Brianna Joy Gray a shout out for saying the other day uh, on my show, she said that the only pushing to the left that we're going to see, she's like, when it comes to pushing Biden to the left, I think it's fair to say the only pushing we're going to see is if. Nira Tandon and Fasha Kira are in a room together. And she's got a push. Yeah, physically. I like it. All right. Uh, so we move on to uh, Republicans. Republicans suck, right? suck, yeah. I don't think that my Republican suck can compare to that. It's only basically based on a potential uh, war with Iran. So reading um, Travis Geddes at Raw Story, uh, he has a story called Rapture Believing 
Mike Pompeo has Trump's approval to bully Iran as long as he doesn't, quote, start World War III, unquote. And as this article writes, uh, President Donald Trump has given his advisors the go-ahead to antagonize Iran in the final weeks of his administration. Multiple U.S. officials told the Daily Beast that Trump has become less involved than ever with Iran policy, and one White House official said he's checked out on the issue to focus on his effort to overturn his election loss to Biden. Trump has given Secretary of State Mike Pompeo a believer in Iran's role in the biblical prophecy about the end times, authority to do whatever he wants to the country as long as he doesn't start World War III, according to um, two senior administration officials. And yeah, I mean, this is uh, awful, and it's probably because uh, they want to make it hard for Biden to rejoin the, you know, the Iran deal that Obama had brokered. Like, just so everyone knows, we have done and do absolutely awful things to Iran. They've imposed sanctions as recently as in the last two months. And it is actually, I mean, it's a total, likely desperate situation because it's contributed to Iran lacking insulin for millions of people and uh, Iran having the worst COVID outbreak in the Middle East. Main thing is that, yeah, Trump is really giving Mike Pompeo carte blanche to go crazy in Iran. He just needs to stop short of starting World War III. And uh, what's, what's great about that is that, of course, Pompeo is rapture ready. He's an evangelical. Mm-hmm. And um, it would be an interesting game to play. What's worse, like, like neocon or rapture ready? So I was in a rapture. Uh, I was in one of those. Uh, Mega churches? Me- no, it was, it was specifically an apocalyptic rapture church uh, right. for a while. And uh, those folks you know they're they're mostly okay they they do they do expect that when the day of judgment comes that uh that they'll be whisked up to heaven and the rest of us will die horrible painful deaths here on earth for because of our sinful right. ways which is you know a little bit less than generous but apart from that they're, they're mostly pretty nice yeah i guess i guess they are right i i just i do worry that um that that will maybe have some impact on foreign policy. Oh, and you mean if they're like you're the head of? Oh, right. I forgot. Right, right, right. Sorry. So there's that was what I meant. Yeah, comparing those two things when you are Secretary of State. Right. Yes. Probably yeah. worse to be Secretary of State uh, if you are rapture ready. If you're if, right. If you're reading Left Behind before you're uh, could be disqualified yeah well i don't know about this qualify maybe maybe disqualified i don't know yeah uh probably probably not not the best stance to have yeah not the best thing yeah it's yeah i mean i i don't remember they got so upset about how he violated the hatch act by mm. like giving an address during the rnc from jerusalem oh right yes i'm yeah. gonna go out on a limb and say this is worse probably yes yeah yeah yeah, we'll 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 see what happens. But I, like it, the the clock ticking on the end of the Trump presidency and and kind of not much happening is is uh, it's deeply disappointing to me as a as a news consumer. Like I I want him to pull out every crazy stop that he possibly can right on the way out. You know, because they've they've set us up for this. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, Matt, I think we should make him, what's our request? We want him to pardon some people, right? So I think every mm-hmm. week we should repeat the people we want him to pardon. And these mm-hmm. are just to stick it to the libs, right? Right. So Snowden, so, Assange. S- Snowden, Assange. By the way, can he pardon 
Snow has Snowden been charged with anything? Oh, I guess it's just to agree to let him back in the country without going after him. Is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, it would, in some ways, it would be worse for Snowden if he's actually not charged. So right. Um, but uh, Snowden, Assange, Trump's got to pardon those those people. Uh, slash the military budget. Uh, Shut yeah. the, just shut down the CIA and the FBI. Right. Yes, exactly. And pardon uh, Leonard Peltier. That would be so great to stick it to the FBI. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. viewers and listeners don't know who Leonard Peltier, he's accused of killing an FBI agent. Um, he's a Native American activist. He was part of American Indian Movement AIM. So, I mean, Trump, you really would troll so hard if you freed him. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that would be such an fu to the deep state. You know, I, I think uh, rerouting rerouting all the CIA budget for school lunches would be an interesting one. Oh yeah, that would be really good. Yeah, right? yeah. Like chocolate milk. Chocolate milk. Chocolate milk. The perfect milk. way to stick yeah. it to to Hillary Clinton. Right. Ketchup because that's a vegetable. That's a vegetable, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so. yeah. He gets to both honor Ronald Reagan and stick it to Hillary Clinton, who joked that what was it like Bernie Sanders wanted to give every kid <laughs> chocolate milk? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So so that's what. So okay. He oh. he dissolves the CIA. And let's throw the NSA in there just for good measure, right? Okay. And we'll take all the money that we were going to spend on that and take the NSA money and spend it on ketchup and the CIA money and spend it on chocolate, chocolate milk. milk. Right. What about the FBI? Um, who does he hate the most? Like, which is the... Who, who probably the, all three of them, I would think. But. Well, then you know what? Look, Trump, if he does anything, it's he goes big or he goes home. In fact, that's a great name for this segment. Go big before you go home. Go big before you go home. That's right. Yeah. So just shutter those things. Close them down. That's right. Yes. And build, <laughs> rebuild the economy through like a big infrastructure in the form of chocolate milk and ketchup production. That's right. Yes. It will be, it will be a ketchup-centric economy. Yes, exactly. Right. All right. Those are great ideas. Yeah. The ketchup um, New Deal. Uh, all right. So what are, for, for uh, isn't that weird? Uh, yeah. Right. So, or so isn't that, that terrible? I'm sorry. Yeah, you have That's isn't me. that terrible? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dan, if you could uh, open the <laughs> the uh, here's why Denmark called 17 million something article. It might might need a trigger warning for this one. This one is horrifying in like eight levels. I mean, it's so horrifying. When uh, I, you know, full disclosure, this doesn't matter. We do this from time to time. We give each other, you know, our terribles and. Uh, Republican yeah, this, this, this is you. And, yeah. And this one I found. But what's what's really fascinating, I, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I say this. I hope I'm not violating our trust. And if I am, you will cut this out. But you were you were like, this actually may be terrible. I may <laughs> I may actually be against this, which like, again, for someone who is eager to throw a bunch of caterpillars into a blender, I just think this is a moral I laughed at how horrible this story was when I read it. So okay, uh, you don't want people to think you've totally lost your sense of humor, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, headline. Headline is is classic. It's a great headline. Yeah, no Uh, puns, unfortunately, but yeah. yeah. Here's why Denmark called 17 million minks and now plans to dig up their buried bodies. The COVID mink crisis explained. Uh, <laughs> oh, that photo is like the worst thing. I can't even tell people. Anyway, you take it away, Matt. Sorry. So, uh, okay. So first of all, so we're seeing a picture of looks like a Danish male um, with just 
a gigantic rack of dead mink bodies. Um, they and look the, so the, fresh. The caption says, an employee removing dead mink from a chamber after they were gassed on a farm. Uh, and we'll get to this. Okay, so let, let's look, look okay. at the... We'll do uh, the photo after we set up the story. Yeah. yeah after you set so, uh, first of all, this story is bad enough that they didn't do something as rotten in Denmark in the lead, which is like basically the, ah, right. every, every Denmark centric news story they find a way to put that quote somewhere right. in there but this one was so bad they didn't want to make a joke so yeah. um the the lead says around the world minks are getting sick the small ferret-like mammals farm for their valuable fur of raised alarm after contracting and mutating the coronavirus passing it back to humans the virus official said spread from human handler to mink mutated and then spread back to human humans denmark went so far as to call 17 million minks in November in response to outbreaks at more than 200 mink farms. Call is a nice use. I know. Uh, what does that I mean, even mean? It's, you know, Wrangle? It's first degree culling, basically. It's it's killing. Uh, right. Yeah. So the northern region of the country where, where most fur farms lie was placed under strict lockdowns. Uh, the Danish government spared no mink, killing infected and healthy animals alike. Uh, blah, blah, blah. They, they, so they, they killed 17 million of these minks. But then here's the twist. The story, however, has not ended there. Since the mass slaughter, hundreds of mink carcasses have emerged from their graves. Buried in shallow pits and, tre and trenches in western Denmark, the dead minks were pushed out of the ground by gas emitted from their decomposing bodies, leading to more outrage and concern. Yeah, you can probably imagine the, the, the public reaction to the sight of, of dead minks rising from the earth rising from the dead they're like jesus minks yeah these are like santeria or, or yeah, yeah that's funny your, your, your mind goes to jesus i yeah. think of yeah zombies and you're the catholic yeah right yeah exactly it's funny that way um can but, you just uh, scroll up for one second because i think there's something really important that we should go into that that really fills out the terrible i'm sorry to interrupt matt but mm -hmm. um Okay, yeah, you can pause there. Um, as you said, the Danish government spared no mink, killing infected and healthy animals alike. We would rather go a step too far than take a step too little to combat COVID-19, the country's foreign minister, Jeppe Kovic, said at a press conference in early November. The country's prime minister later apologized, and its food and agricultural agriculture minister stepped down when the order to kill the animals was declared illegal. So this is minkicide, and it's not even legal minkicide. Right. Well, it was retroactively declared illegal, right? So yeah. So so basically, because this happened, uh, now they're they're being forced to dig up all of the dead minks, and so they don't really specify what they're going to do. But basically, they they created a gigantic mass of dead minks, buried them in too shallow a grave, uh, watched them rise from from death and now are going to have to dig up all those bodies uh and put them somewhere you know while they deal with this situation while or while they w wait for a vaccine for COVID or whatever it is um but uh horrifying on like 19 different levels because it's, it's already bad like that they are having this these fur farms and there are that many animals and you know that they're that they're going to be killing anyway to make coats out of uh, but the I don't know this is this is a this is a, a unusually upsetting news story. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think that we're going to have to, uh, as much as it's going to be upsetting, I kind of feel like you need to sh- describe the images. Well, they're just they're just ghostly white slabs of fur, basically, uh, laid out in racks. And look, the imagery suggests what it suggests. It's not probably not the first time that Europe has seen imagery like this. Imagery of gas. Of, people, of things that have been gassed. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that saying called Denmark plans to dig up thousands of dead mink called to prevent the spread of coronavirus after the animals started to rise out of their mass graves. I think that's mink aside <laughs> um, apologia. Is that how you say that word? Apologia? Apologia or apologia? Uh, apologia. Apolo- Apologetics. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's kind of mink aside denial. Mm-hmm. That word mm-hmm. cult. I mean, no, they were gassed. Right. They were exterminated. Yeah, but Ch- China is going to be culling its Uyghur population this year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, there's going to be a little bit of culling going on. I kind of approve of that. That's that's pretty shameless. But what a horrifying news story! Amazing. They're, and they're cute. But yeah, also like they they came out because of gas. Mm-hmm. Like that was what was pushing them out of the graves. There's an irony there, right? Yeah. Oh, it is revenge of the minks. Right. They got yeah, gassed exactly. and buried and they literally undid it. They literally, they <laughs> gassed and unburied themselves. It's like Jesus zombie. It's a zombie Jesus thing. It just hits all the right. Maybe genres. that's how the Jesus legend got started. Maybe actually he was, was just full of gas Oh my God! And he inadvertently right. rolled the rock away, right? Like he was—he was—he was just. Oh, bloated. I thought you meant he was full of gas and he just poofed. He farted his way off. Right, oh, it could have been that too, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, no, no, no! I meant when he after he was already in the cave. Oh, okay. When he, he when he cave. rolled the rock away. Oh, I don't know that part. What? But there's a rock involved. What happened? He was killed. He, he, you know, he it's was like, called, it's like ground, Groundhog Day. He, he was, was called. Uh huh. Yeah, and then they put him in a cave, and on the third day he rose again. You know that whole thing. He oh, basically, right. Okay, they put him in a cave. Yeah, got it. They took him off the cross. They kind of yeah. threw him in a cave, and then he he kind of snaps out of it, has a cup of coffee, and then like he rolls the rock away and comes back out and announces himself. He's like, hey, it's a, yeah. The the language is a little different in each of the gospels. I mean, right. We can get into that sometime. It's kind of funny. But, we should uh, do that. Name that gospel. Yeah, that would yeah. be a good one. I would, yeah. right? I, I have a couple. I have a friend who's obsessed with that, actually. But, uh, but I just like my version, which is that he farts his way off. <laughs> <laughs> I I would be shocked if the actual Jesus didn't fart during the crucifixion. I mean, probably I mean, it's a traumatic. Huh? I mean, probably more than fart, but. I don't think the other things, those incontinence, neither, there are three, let's say there are, well, there's probably, there's probably, is vomiting, peeing, passing a bowel movement. Right. And uh, vomiting, peeing. Spontaneously bleeding out of your eyes. Yeah. So that's called the Biden, uh, the Joe Biden. And farting. Yeah. And farting. Like there's what makes farting so special and so valuable um, not just in the life and death. Of Jesus I like the way that I like where this conversation is going. Go ahead. It, yeah. Is that it's the most powerful form of incontinence because it can unnail you from a cross. Like what other what other form of incontinence can move you? Maybe explosive diarrhea. <laughs> Maybe Did that move you up. Yeah. It, it, no, it probably wouldn't levitate you off the cross. 
Yeah. But maybe a fart could. A fart, a fart could. Has All anyone I... done? How how has this movie not been done? Where where where, where you know? Oh God, the why bi- has, why yeah. hast thou for for sake? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> come on, that's not in bad taste or anything. For, right? What is it? Forgive them for they know not what they, they know do. not what they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for they know not didn't... what they Psss. yeah we yeah right um yeah. i mean he, he look there, there's just not enough literature about what was going on with uh, in jesus's mind during that entire ordeal yeah and i think honestly it's kind of like the culling thing it's a it's a whitewashing of it right instead of yes a, yeah that was a you nice know? comeback yeah i know right all right so uh for what do we have for isn't that weird isn't that weird? I want to give a shout out to all the people who tweeted about this. Um, I want to thank Nate Mayweather uh, for for uh, flagging this this story, this really important story. And and I want to also thank the uh, Daily Mail for its great uh, tweet, which says, seven, f- have you seen this penis? Police hunt for seven foot wooden sculpture after it vanishes from Bavarian Alps. Okay. Oh, there does seem to be a discrepancy. This says six foot, and another article says seven foot. If this show, the theme of this episode is anything, it is correcting, it is looking into the truth. Mink aside, Jesus farts, and penis sculpture size. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dan and Matt, is this the first time you've heard someone um, exaggerate the size of their wooden penis sculpture? <laughs> I think we're all familiar with that phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen this penis? Police hunt for six-foot wooden sculpture of a giant phallus after it vanishes from Bavarian Alps. That's actually that gives the mink headline a run for its money. That's a that's a that's a that's a quality like compound headline. I know. I know. This six-foot artwork is thought to have vanished from the Bavarian Alps last week. A stumps, a stumps, and some shavings of wood were left on slopes of Grunten Mountain. Police are unsure who created the giant sculpture or put it there in the first place. So German police are investigating the mysterious disappearance of the sculpture. And uh, they say, Bavarian police spokesman says, we have opened an investigation into the disappearance of the piece. Police are unsure whether a criminal yeah. offense- this That was is my next think. question, yeah. yeah. Police are unsure whether a criminal offense has been committed. Um, Stavik, the police uh, spokesperson, said not least because it remains unknown who created the giant penis or put it there in the first place. This might be this might not be our leading hypothesis, but it could be the owner who sawed it off. The owner sawed it off to get it back, the, which is basically the most extreme form of circumcision I've ever read about. Mm-hmm. The giant phallus had stood nearly six feet tall. Uh, someone must have sawn it off during the night. Actually, it's, just, it's not circumcision, it's Bobbit. The sculpture already made headlines in Germany a few weeks ago when it had to be, quote unquote, re-erected after being knocked from its pedestal. The mayor of Rottenburg says it was a great pity to lose an unusual cultural monument that had helped make the region so popular. The the artwork is also described as a cultural monument on Google Maps. This is a pretty different reaction than the upstate New York town. I mean, if, look, if this does anything, and Matt, sorry, can we zoom in on the the penis sculpture? We should really, next, we should do a side by side. So here is the penis sculpture. Um, 
I'm not, and it's, I mean, how would you describe it? It's just a fully erect, uh, it's a popular tourist attraction, by the way, but it's a fully erect penis, I guess. But what's weird is they have a thing on its side, like a, I don't know, what is that? Just a, a wooden pole? It's for measuring, I guess. I don't measuring, know. Measuring, right. Or propping it up. Anyway, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it doesn't have the ven can venal details. Can you say it that way? Venal yeah. The venal details of the uh, American yeah. Yeah. penis sculpture. Or um, it, venus, I think venus, is the word. Yeah, yeah venus, yeah. Where would you be looking for there? Yeah, it doesn't have the venus detail. Really, we should be judging these two things side by side. And well, by they, next... The yeah. American, sorry to interrupt, the American yeah. pen, uh, wooden penis sculpture was much more realistic. This one, yeah. look, they just basically took a log and they made, you know, they kind of made a, a few strategic cuts. Right, that's true, yeah. I mean, we should, we should, um, fellow, like, listen, useful idiots, listeners and viewers, please vote for better penis sculpture. Because Matt, being, re like, realism is not the artistic preference of everyone, so... I'm just saying. We'll tweet that angle is a little bit more. That's that's a little better. Yeah, that angle is better. Although the the testes look like a butt too, crack. Yeah, and it's still too loggy to me. Yeah, although, loggy, although yeah. I'm, you know, I don't know. I maybe maybe that's part of its charm. I I, yeah. I know, but we definitely um, <laughs> attraction is rumored to have been. Wait, hold on. The Independent says uh, uh, attraction is rumored to have been an unwanted prank birthday present. Mm, to the town. This okay. They say it's seven foot, and, and it appeared in the, on the Grinton Mountain some years ago. Uh, yeah, and local lore has it that it was made as a prank birthday present for a young man whose family did not appreciate the gift, and so the four hundred and forty pound sculpture was hauled up the mountain and left there. I mean, we've all been there. We've given our love parents, local our lore. family, mm -hmm. a big penis sculpture. They don't like it, and you got to drag it to the top of a mountain. Christ-like. Like like oh my god yeah 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 anyway i think this is a major teachable moment though because Bite, biting political analysis sorry well yeah but honestly america what did they do to their penis sculptures they shame the artist they shame germany they celebrate it yep and they they wish it was they, they wish they had it back yeah and the crime he that guy in america was criminalized for his very nice penis sculpture here in Germany, they get that the real crime is the removal. Right. It, it, in fairness, if, if there was a house full of kids across the street from this. Yeah, you're it might, right. Might, it might be different. But I mean, yeah. you and I have very different um, opinions on this legal legally. I think we need Shahid Buttar and Glenn Greenwald to come on as um, civil, uh, civil liberties experts and free speech experts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna. Um, we, we had so much fun reviewing that other show that we didn't watch that I've already yes. forgotten. The Crown, yeah, right? The Crown. I was gonna call it the Cross, but yeah. The Cross. The Crown. All right. So we're gonna review uh, another another show uh, that we that we haven't watched. The Undoing. Um, I'm just gonna set it up. Okay. Because as neither you nor I knows, um, of course, The Undoing is an American mystery psychological thriller miniseries based on the 2014 novel You Should Have Known by. Jean Hanf Corellit. The miniseries premiered on HBO on October 25th, 2020, and it stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and it's written by David E. Kelly and directed by Susan Beer. So, I mean, what do you think? I love it. I love this movie. Uh, I love the series. I mean, uh, yeah, you want it to be. You love it so much, you think it should be a movie, yeah. Yeah, well, it should be. There should be just be more of these. Like, look, it's... 
It's a thriller. It's got a murder in it, I think. Right? I'm, uh, I'm, sure, I'm almost sure. It's probably it's got a it's like a psychological thriller with a murder in it. it I, I'm smelling kind of like a Lifetime Channel kind of yeah. thing, which and I and, and I think all of those movies are are masterpieces. I like watch them religiously. Yeah. Uh, and this one is a, is especially great, or it would be if I were actually watched it. No, Matt, uh, stop hedging. It's okay. especially great. It's especially great. Commit to it. Right. This is the whole point. Stop, stop apologizing for this. You are unabashedly ignorant of this show, which is what, precisely what makes us qualified to do this. Yeah. Right. You're right. I'm sorry. This, this is, this is the moder- Maserati of those kinds of yeah. movies that I already like. Of the, and, and it's not a movie. It's not even a movie. It's a series, which is even better. So I have a question. Did you watch the show The Affair? Yes. Well, I didn't. So. Do you want to ask me which one I like more? Which show, which show do you like better, the, the Affair or The Undoing? I mean, I think I like The Undoing more. Really? Yeah. Because it seems to be, there's just a vibe I get. I get a vibe <laughs> that is just good. I get well, a serious well, How would you vibe. characterize the dif- difference between the so two? The aff- I mean, The Affair was much more, um, well, one of the things The Affair did was cast non-Americans. Right. That much I know. Mm-hmm. Dominic West and a Br- I don't know the name of the British woman. So basically, I mean, I'm sure in the affair, the character, they must have had an Irish character and a British character, right? They're both Americans, but yeah. Okay. Well, having not seen it, I did not know uh, if they were playing Americans or their actual nationalities. So, but I'm going to stick with what I just said. Yeah. They had an international, not, not only, I mean, I knew it was an international cast, but I'm going to say international cast of characters. Right. As, okay, oppo- so- as, a, as opposed to uh, The Undoing, <laughs> which stars undoing. Nicole Kidman and, and Hugh Grant. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe, I, I mean, I can't, you know what? I'm playing, I'm so good at this game, Matt. I just double scored. <laughs> you did? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's how much I don't know the undoing. I mean, I don't know it so much that I don't even remember who's in it. <laughs> right. Well, you never, it's not that you were, no, don't remember, you never knew. Well, I did know as of five minutes ago when I read <laughs> okay. the Wikipedia description. <laughs> but I really wasn't even trying. That was amazing. So, yeah. But, uh, but can you not gaslight me and shame me and I'm mansplain, sorry. please? I'm sorry. So, as what the difference is that. The undoing has is very it's kind of it's more like apple pie um, wholesome. Uh, the undoing, it's like we are not even going to cast a single non-American actor and we're certainly gonna, not going to have a single non-American character. While on the other hand, the affair has an Irish actor <clears throat> and an English actor. And they insist on letting them speak in their accents. So that is a much more internationalist kind of cosmopolitan. Um, it really, the show, The Affair, what it really is at the end of the day, as a show based on foreign accents, uh, it is a rejection of xenophobia. 
it is highlighting. I mean, you've seen the show, so you're a little, you're not really qualified to talk about this, Matt. Right, yes. So I don't know why you're grimacing and wincing as if I'm not the person who actually can comment on this. You have no say. Right, you're not the person who can't. As if I'm not the, I'm cl- I, this is my expertise. I'm the one who hasn't seen the show. You've seen that show. So you have nothing to add to this conversation. Right, right, no, but, but what you actually mean is that I have something to add to the conversation, which by by which you mean I have nothing to add. Yeah, right. right. I get it. So anyway, I, I think I'm right that um, it's the internationalist angle. It challenges American um, jingoism. Hegemony. Hege- yeah, hegemony. While um, the undoing, actually the undoing at the end of the day is a metaphor for they it's a fear of it's like it's like the jews will not replace us it's like the undoing (laughs) (laughs) nothing to do with the the undoing (laughs) no the well yes exactly matt it's the absence of jewish actors or characters as well as foreign actors of any sort which is an america except for nicole kidman hugh grant i don't you know what uh yeah Ismail Cruz Cartova. <laughs> Can you just let me? I'm re- I'm reclaiming my time, right, Matt. Okay. I'm going to reclaim my time as a movie that is, as a show that is totally free of foreign actors. It is America first. <laughs> it is white nationalism. It is white supremacy, and it is Jews will not replace us. That is that is my that is my take, and I'm sticking to it. The Uncoming. <laughs> The original title was The Uncoming, colon, Jews Will Not Replace Us. Okay, so just in summation, I like The Undoing, and you think it's white supremacy. Yes. Okay, all right. But the irony there is I actually think it's very good artistically. So I feel conflicted. It's like a Lenny Riefenstahl moment. Right, right. Romper stomper. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so we we we've we've basically helped you not make a decision about uh, that that show, uh, but I think it was it was a good discussion anyway. Um, no, wait, guys, fans of Katie Helper have made their decision. Right, right, good, good. Well, that was productive. Um, okay, so uh, now that we've taken care of that, we can uh, we have an amazing guest this week. Yes, We're going to so talk great. to Aaron Brockovich, uh, whom most of you know be, uh, as. How do you pronounce that word? Eponymous? Eponymous? Eponymous, right? Yeah. Uh, the movie that is so named. Yeah, that that's, that starred the famous non-American actress. Uh, right, Julia <laughs> Roberts. Julia, Julia Roberts. Uh, yeah, uh, but that was a case of, of the colorblind casting. Right. Where they were like, even though Julia Roberts is a, is a Nicaraguan actor, right. we're going to cast her as a white, um, American. She's an indigenous Nicaraguan actor, as everyone knows. Julia Trans, Roberts. Yeah. Trans. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, who? Yes. Um, and different, bo- abled, differently abled. Um, but in, instead of the person that was played by, uh, instead of Julia Roberts, the famous Nicaraguan right. uh, trans. Tra- trans actor. We're going to talk to the actual Aaron Brockovich, who's got a new book out, Superman's Not Coming. Um, I read it. Uh, it's it's a it's a scary book. It's a cool book. It's kind of it's kind of structured um, sort of as like a a how to guide for people who are concerned about the 
fresh drinking water issue and which is you know the way she presents it it's totally a crisis but the book is just sort of packed full of information that tells you what potentially could be going on in your community and and tells stories of uh, how people manage to clean up problems uh, and deal with you know the, the polluted water sites that were causing illnesses in children it's just horrifying but it's a really interesting book she's Kind of an amazing story, just in terms of ha- getting things done without having any particular backing or anything like that. And uh, she's going to talk about all those things. And and she has a podcast and a new op-ed uh, at The Guardian called Dear Joe Biden, Are You Kidding Me? The president-elect has tapped a former DuPont consultant to join his Environmental Protection Agency Transition Board. And it's about Michael McCabe. Uh, so without further ado, let's let's talk to Aaron Brockovich. Thank you so much for joining us. I actually, before we get into the book, I just wanted to start with the recent news. Uh, you wrote an op-ed in The Guardian criticizing uh, Joe Biden's pick. Could you talk about why it was so troubling? Well, I took it really personal. I mean, this has just been such a tumultuous election year and a new administration coming in with really high hopes and I've been doing this for, oh gosh, I don't want to date myself, but it's been 30 years. I began my work in Hinckley at about 30, turning 31. I'm now 60 with four grandkids. And it's been a long time that I've been out there. And what concerned me about this pick uh, with um, McCabe was he was a part of a strategic communication for DuPont during a time when they were in trouble for dumping 7,100 tons of PFOA, which is perfluorooctanoic acid. It's a very toxic compound out in West Virginia. People might be familiar with this story through Dark Waters that Mark Lecaros started. Correct. And Rob Blatt, who was the attorney that took this on for 20 years. And so Mr. McCabe was a part of DuPont's strategy in avoiding cleanup and regulations. And then here comes a new administration that is indicating that in a transition team would be a part of the EPA. And I was like, no, just... No, I, I couldn't help myself. And I, you know, I don't take and stay with a party line just to stay at the party line when something wrong is happening. And so I felt that I needed to say something. And there's not room to have an insider from DuPont who was part of a communication strategy to cover up this chemical that has now become the nation's worst chemical outbreak in our history serving anywhere near the EPA, an agency that should be setting standards and guidelines and regulations on chemicals. So I I just felt very compelled that I had to do that piece and say this is just not going to be okay. And politics as usual, Um, The avoidance of the water issues and the pollution and the problems that we have, I just think it is time that we have to stop 
and really acknowledge what's happening, who's within our team, and, and how we best protect our water and public health and welfare. And so that's why I wrote the article. Yeah, it's like, it's worse than the revolving door. I mean, it's the revolving door of, you, you refer to the um, fox guarding the hen house. It's like the revolving door from um, the Environmental Protection Agency to the enemy of the Environmental Protection Agency back to the Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, well, this, it's stunning. It's, and it's always been a concern for me and you know, Look, I'm a foot soldier. I have been down on the ground for over 20 years in and out of these communities, understanding the chemicals, the water, the municipalities, the aquifer. And what's most important to me is what it does to people and their health and their children and their animals. And this is a chemical, it's PFC, which is a perfluorinated chemical. And many moons ago, 3M and DuPont created 3,000 chemicals into a concoction to create perfluorooctanoic acid, which you would know is Teflon, to create the firefighting agent, which is the PFOS, PFAS, PFOS, which you would know as firefighting foam, um, flame retardants, like, and it's in everything we use. They notified the EPA, and to your point about the EPA, some decades ago that this was going to be a problem. So the EPA created a, a, a guideline, if you will, of what municipalities could run through their system of an unknown chemical. And then they commissioned a study. These studies take a very long time. And about four years ago, oh, guess what? Houston, we have a problem. This chemical causes cancers and disease. Well, four years ago, Scott Pruitt, who was running the EPA under the Trump administration, hid that study. We had to fight up on the Hill to get it released. And so to see, again, anybody that was a communication strategist for DuPont to cover this up when we've got a national problem with this coming back into an administration is very concerning. And you know, the EPA is well-intended with very brilliant people there, but oftentimes their hands are tied and the system is kind of ass backwards if you ask me. We put all these chemicals into the marketplace first and study them after when we should be studying them before they hit the marketplace so we don't continue right. to have these issues. And so I have seen in 20 years, oftentimes, the fox is guarding the hen house and how information gets biased. And you don't want that inside the EPA. And it's, this didn't happen overnight. It's been decades of an erosion within that agency. And one that I think we really need to pay close attention to and how we have greater oversight of a lot of pollution issues in this country. So in, in your new book, uh, it's, it's Superman's Not Coming, you document this, the whole history of how this problem kind of spiraled out of, out of control. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask about was was just what you were talking about right right then. First of all, it, it's the EPA's responsibility to uh, uh, to regulate drinking water nationally, right? It's not it's not a local concern like policing. Well, the EPA has federal oversight, so it kind of works in layers, you know, so you've okay. got EPA oversight, 
Les, we could talk about hexavalent chromium, which, yes. you yep. know, so chromium, I'm chromium six, the, the Aaron Brockovich <laughs> came, yeah. Yeah, Who knew? Like, it's like, I really thought in my life I would be known for or named after a toxic chemical. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. So chrome six. So again, it's a guideline that the EPA set at a hundred parts per billion. Now that's for total chromium, not chrome six. But each state can have a different guideline. So here in California, theirs was 50 parts per billion, not 100. And so then you can go down to, you know, the more microscopic level where you can have permits and things issued right there at the city council, um, Department of Toxic Substances and Control within that state can do things differently. So there's just a federal guideline and oftentimes we will look to the EPA for that, but you do see states swinging and California is one of them that will change those guidelines. We've been in court now for 20 years over addressing hexavalent chromium in drinking water. We did get a standard set at 10 parts per billion. We've gotten thrown back into court for feasibility studies because it costs municipalities a lot of money to put on filtration to bring it down to the level that the public health goal decided it should be, which is 0.02 parts per billion. We're supposed to be following that public health goal and setting maximum contaminant limits as close to that public health goal as possible. But oftentimes we don't because of money and cost factors. And then we continue to have this problem and, you know, public health issues. So we we're cheating the system in many ways. And that's something we have to stop doing. I look at PG and I'm sorry about my dog. Excellent. I'm a big dog lover. Yes. And they are very, they're very concerned with these issues, which is great. Yeah. So um, where was I? I lost my train. Yeah, okay, so, so um, mm -hmm. going back to hexavalent chromium, going back to PG&E, going back to our municipalities, going back to EPA and doing things ass backwards. There's been a system in play that just keeps kicking the can down the road and they don't follow the, the safety rules or the regulations or their safety protocols or their infrastructure and deal with those issues on the upfront. They just keep kicking the can down the line. And that is what's become such a huge problem. And we're gonna have to reverse track if you ask me. And on the upfront, whether it's public health goal, agencies, EPA, and corporations and industry, listen, there's plenty of room here for them to step up and do the right thing. I think we all get it that we need energy and we like flying and and everything that we do and lights on and off and heating and air conditioning we get it but it's becoming too much when you continually sacrifice us for a greater profit less safety don't follow regulations and don't deal with your infrastructure problems so this idea that we'll just face the lawsuits and a few people die so what uh, to save money down the end of the line is a model a business model that just doesn't work anymore and that is really some of the biggest issues that we see they they won't do it right on the upfront it should be safety first infrastructure regulations that are protective and 
there's still plenty of room for you to make a lot of profit down here at the end of the line, but do it right on the upfront. Stop cheating the system. You, you, you mentioned uh, the MCLs, the maximum contaminant levels. I was shocked in the book to read that, that for lead in, in some places that they, they don't even exist. Uh, in, oh, in some... Yeah, so see that's, uh, it, here's, yeah, but as I Obama always, said, he probably ate some lead paint as a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we've got some serious lead problems in mm -hmm. this country. And so here goes back to a regulation that was set. So many of our policies and regulations are outdated. They're antiquated in a way because they may have worked 50 years ago, but they won't work today. And this is why it was so important to me even writing that letter. The, the new boss can't be the same as the old boss. We have to look at policies and regulations and rework them for society today that's 400 million people here in America with different circumstances that are more sustainable and moving us forward. And the lead and copper rule is one of them. Lead is a huge problem in this country. We all saw what happened in Flint, Michigan, but most people are unaware of these policies in place. So the lead and copper rule states that you only have to test and look for lead in your water system once every four years, and you can average the samples. So once every four years and you can average the samples, I guarantee if you have lead, you deliberately are not going to find it because of how that policy is written. Now, Dan Kildee's working hard on rewriting that policy, but this is what we need to do moving forward. And um, like the lead and copper rule has to change. Uh, we have some good safe drinking water acts on the books, but nobody wants to follow that. Everybody wants to cheat the system. So I think there's a moment here, which I'm hopeful for, that not only with the new administration, we really begin to tackle and talk about the issues of antiquated policies as we have antiquated infrastructure that do not work for us moving forward to be a more sustainable country and society. And, and it seems like in the, the pattern in the book, it's like the same story over and over again. You have a, a chemical, there's, it's, it's not like the FDA where they have to go through a testing process to make sure that uh, right. you know what, whatever you put in your body is not gonna kill you. They don't have anything like that for introducing things into the environment or into, into, into the water supply. Uh, but when there is a problem, it seems like in every single case, uh, a wealthy lobby uh, gets its yes. hooks in, into uh, whatever the the political uh, you know whoever's in charge, mm -hmm. and they manage to find a way to loophole their way out of the situation and can pro prolong the problem. Given that, how, what can really be done about this short of um, eliminating the the lobbying power? Well, you know, well, here come the lawyers. Thank you very much. And, you know, um, sometimes that is the recourse is those litigations because mm -hmm. the, they know where the loopholes are or they know that this loophole can be challenged. So I think that the, the law is a big part of this in, you know, carrying justice forward. And there's so much going on out there. It's hard for them to be everywhere. And I think that there's so much room here for, and I get emails all the time from young students uh, who are in law school, 
to come into and begin to change and reform and challenge these procedures, these policies, these guidelines, if you will, and to make them better. Um, and not, it's not about, you know, the, this, my way or the highway, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. This just doesn't work anymore. We really have to look at how we shore up what we have. And we're not asking it to go away, but make it better. And I do think that there's a lot of room here for these next generations coming in that will and can reform law and can do it, you know, fairly, but get it done. It's a lot of follow through. And a lot of us don't like to do that. It gets exhausting. You want to give up after five years. But if you don't and you keep chipping away, that can change. But I think that there's a moment happening right now. I, I think we're all aware of it. You know, COVID has just pushed us into a situation where we've been able to slow down enough to look at what might really be going on and how we can um, politically, um, with the law, and the people with better knowledge, we can begin to change and see the future and what we have to change to get there. So these next generations are hopeful for me, but it will be challenges. It'll be challenges up on the hill. Um, it will be challenges politically. It will be challenges to the people, um, to incoming students who want to be a part of the judicial system in the sciences and in medicine that we even begin to acknowledge we have a problem and now how are we going to move our way out and anytime you come in pushing on one side you get the push back so how can we each stand back and and look at what we've got here and how we're going to move forward i think that is a critical moment that we're finally at um you know i could have seen this in back in 1992 but we're visual as people and we have a moment now where we're actually kind of seeing everything that we didn't think was around that we didn't want to believe was around and now that it's here constructively and i've always said the people have a big say here and need a seat at the table that they begin to use their voice so i am hopeful about the future and it's not going to happen overnight we didn't get here overnight and it's gonna take some consistency, follow through, reform, challenges, both politically, legislatively, and legally to get where we need to go, but we need to start. Can you talk about, I mean, you just mentioned pushback. Um, can you talk about the pushback that you got from people who are Democrats who you know consider themselves um, Biden supporters or are Biden supporters, I guess. Uh, did you expect that? And can you talk about some of the, yeah, responses? Uh, well, I typically don't do you, go read the responses. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, you know, I, it was favorably received. There's always your critics. Here's the thing. I said earlier, I'm not gonna stand with a party line or my party line because that's what you're supposed to do when something wrong is amiss um and i think that any party should be open to people within your own party saying course, yeah. 
this is a mistake. So you criticize if you wish. Um, I don't want to say I've gotten used to that. We all have opinions and I am willing to open and listen to their side, but I need you to be willing to open and listen to my side. And so this is that shut the door moment that I was talking about that nobody likes. And whoever the critics are, you don't like it when the door is shut. This is something that was truthful and factual that I think as a party, we should look at in helping. Isn't that part of the American process to be able to have a say in a transition team, knowing information and being involved? So like I said, criticize if they must. Um, I'll accept that. But I hope you'll accept and take a look at what the article said and the fact and that we should change that course. I guess I was what I my big fear and so many issues is that the Democrats um, and I'm not a right wing or a Republican, but yeah. my big fear is that and I know you're not either. But mm -hmm. my big fear is that the standard of but Trump, but Trump did this. Look how bad Trump was like if you do anything remotely like below the level of bad that Trump did, you're OK. I mean, that's my biggest fear is that being better than Trump is the standard. And, you know, I, I've mentioned this a few times, but um, when Biden mentioned that Cedric Richmond, who has a terrible record on um, energy, is going to be on his team, Sunrise Movement very justifiably pushed, you know, expressed mm -hmm. concern about that. And a New York Times reporter responded by tweeting that they're from the beginning, they're um, you know, antagonizing the most powerful black staffer. And it's, I think this is really dangerous because, I mean, and one of the things Biden ran on was not being the like climate denier, climate change denier that Trump is. But like we, we if we don't hold his feet to the fire, Correct. if we just like protect, enable, and apologize for his decisions, that's not good for the climate. Like, this is a very life and death thing. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with you. And I get uh, both sides of the aisle. So I've shared before. I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. I had a staunch Republican father and family. He actually worked for industry. Yet he's the very one that taught me about the value of water, our land, our health and our family, the things that were most important to us. And so in my work, there's always this idea, well, if you're the environment, you, you have to be, you know, uh, on the Democratic side and the Republicans don't care. And I'm just never going to buy that because I believe that we all care. But somehow we've been divided by these two parties. And I think, again, this moment that we're in and we're seeing so much happening, as you just shared, is the people, you know, knowledge is power, they know more, and one party or the other shouldn't look from somebody within their party as making a challenge as bad or negative. Don't we want transparency? Isn't this what I hear on both sides? Well, then let's be it. And I do believe that is what is missing from our situation is we the people even when we're in a party and something's going wrong, speak up, have a seat at that table, let's be transparent, 
and not go that direction. And so I agree with you and I just, you're never gonna convince me one side or the aisle or the other deserves to have dirty water, clean water, land poisoned or a child sick. But let's, we just, we just, it's got to stop. And so I won't go either way that way, but in the democratic party, and in this situation, we should, that is part of our process that I think has been suppressed on us. Oh no, if you're going against your party, you can't say anything. No, I think that is going to change. I'm going to keep speaking up. And if the interpretation is that, you know, I'm trying to scare someone or, you know, give an administration a break, why should I give my own administration a break when, you know, I wasn't going to give the other side a break? And this isn't what this is about. This is about something much bigger that is our environment that none of us can live without. And no matter what side of the aisle you're on, when we see something, we should be able to call it out, be transparent and have a conversation about how we change tracks and don't go there again. That's what I said. The new boss can't be the old boss. This has just got to stop. And I think we're at that breaking point here in America and at a global level this has to stop and what's been missing if you ask me in my opinion for a very long time has been the people and how we get involved yeah that's that's the question i wanted to ask because you talked about the people having a say and you, you were just mentioning kansas can you tell the story of tonga noxie and and how they am i pronouncing that correctly tonga noxie uh, kansas, tonga, yeah. tonga kansas. Uh, so that's and, real close to my hometown yeah and so they, I, their fight with Tyson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I talk about this in the book. And we, whether it be Hannibal, Missouri, or Tonganoxie, Kansas, or Poughkeepsie, New York, or the women of Tulsa and their movement on chloramines, we can talk all about all of it. But the, the point here in Tonganoxie, Kansas. So a group of moms came to me. And I got to tell you what I do like that I see happening right now. Moms are on the move. Now, I can tell you my entire career, you get a group of pissed off moms, you just get out of their way because they're going to come right on through. They've got stick to itiveness. They're not going to let an issue go. They are not going to let their children be poisoned. They will take action. And so I just like get all silly and giggly when I see them. I'm like, yes, go. And that's what they did in Tonganoxie, Kansas. Tyson was coming into town with a big manufacturing plant, and Tyson is a known polluter. They're just a known polluter. And they value their water and their family's health, and they said, we don't want this here. So when the first emails started coming in, we told them to get involved at your local council. See, we always think all these decisions are going to come down right from the top. No, they're going to start with you in your backyard in your city council and go up from there. That's precisely what they did. They informed the community. They brought in the collective. They worked together with city council. City council heard their objections. Long story short, they ran Tyson out of town on a rail. You go build somewhere else because our water, our children's health isn't up for your grabs. And this goes on all over the country. And that's part of why I did Superman's Not Coming. Because we're here. We've forgotten about us and what we can do. 
And the women of Hannibal, Missouri, they did the exact same thing. They had lead in their water in some points of their distribution higher than what you saw in Flint. And why did that happen? Two reasons. A, testing, so you can avoid that. You can test, average the sample, so you'll never know, okay? Way to cheat the system. And they were adding ammonia called chloramines, which was causing the lead to precipitate out of the pipes. So we've got about 18 million miles of lead pipe, an antiquated system that we're going to have to deal with. But again, they came to us. We went out there, we worked with them. Uh, information and knowledge is power. They made it their job to understand why they had lead and they organized the town. One of the ladies, I wanna do more. So she ran for city council and she won. So she has now educated her town. They did a referendum and put it out to vote. Ammonia added to the water, yes or no? We'll see now everybody understood it, so they voted no. State ended up getting into a lawsuit with them at the city council level, but ultimately, through stick to that dogged determination and persistence, knowing your information, and I, we the people, have a say, I'm happy to report to you, as of March 2020, they now have lead-free water. They weren't gonna wait for something to come down. They took action themselves. And the important message here is, imagine if every community and its members rose as you saw in Tonganoxie or as you see in Hannibal, and we could have a whole lot more stories to talk about, did that across the nation to actually get something done. And, and how can people diagnose uh, how bad the problem is or is not in their own communities. I think and you write in your book, you have all these helpful tips about how you can check things. Like you ask your water company for a consumer confidence report. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that people can, can raise their own awareness about what, what's going on with their own water? Oftentimes they already know. So it's not that dads aren't involved, but oftentimes moms are very alert. So they'll notice a change in the, the water uh, smell. They'll notice um, a, a child that's not feeling right. They may talk to other mothers. So instinctually they know. I think one of the first things that I have learned, A, about myself, and B, that I see in every single community I get involved with, oftentimes they know but they are afraid to speak up for a whole host of reasons because they've probably already tried. They've been told you're silly, you're being a hysterical mother, you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, this is ridiculous, what do you know? And they retract. And so part of my work in these communities is teaching and working with them on believing, oh yes, you can. And so it's that individual point where you have, to really hone in on, I know what I see. I know what I experience. Don't let the other side, for whatever reason, throw you off your game. Stay with it and follow through with that. And that means you can email me, and they usually do. That means you could call your municipality. That means you can call one of your state representatives, and they oftentimes do. Here's another thing that you can do that's important. Show up 
at your own city council. We cannot assume that they know everything that's going on out here, and they oftentimes won't know what's going on out here if we or you don't show up. We did this, God, is maybe five, six years ago in California, Carson, California. Shell oil had massive contamination. City council was digging their feet on issuing permits for cleanup. So we're like, do you even know what's going on out here? And I ask a lot of people, have you ever gone to a city council meeting? Show up sometime. Because they're in there talking to themselves. We as people, as these citizens, we have a duty and an obligation to ourselves, to our community, to our environment. Show up and don't think that you can't and who cares if you ask a silly question ask a question when you find that courage you'll find yourself that you'll keep on doing it and so in carson california we bust in four thousand community members to city council chambers so they had to stay there with them all night long and they heard from the people i watched this happen and they genuinely were shocked at the illnesses in the children the, the losses of family members, the watching these families cry, and each child brought a stuffed guinea pig because they didn't want to be a guinea pig anymore. And they wrote a note on it, what had happened to them, and safety pinned it, and put it in the middle of the city council chambers. When this was over, there was a pile four feet high of guinea pigs. They had heard everyone. But I'll tell you what happened in the morning. Cleanup orders were put into play effective immediately. So we can't assume. And when you want to do something in your own community, don't assume somebody has got you, your back or that even knows what's going on. Make it your job to inform others. Make it your job to get curious. Make it your job to believe that yes, you see and are experiencing what's happening. Own it. Don't let someone else come in and go, oh, you're crazy. Uh, because I, I understand that. I can't tell you how many times I've walked away from somewhere and someone said, you're crazy. And I'm like, am I crazy? And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. No, no, Aaron. Yes, you saw the two-headed frog in the green water. No, you're not crazy. And so these are a couple of the steps that, that people can take. And oftentimes they already know and, and these communities, when they call me in, they already know. And we talk about that in the book. They'll email me looking for permission. If you're looking for permission from me to act on what you see and are experiencing, you're going to get my permission. But what they really need is support. And oftentimes they don't get that. So you're going to have to call upon yourself to say, I got this. And I will tell you 99.99% .99 of the time, you do. You just have to get curious, rise up, believe in yourself, and follow through. And listen, I think of it as a big old football game, the Super Bowl. So you're going to get out there. When you get into the game, you're going to get knocked around. You can get pushed around. Uh, somebody can change a play on you and something goes bad. You can get knocked down, and you're going to get knocked down. But imagine in a Super Bowl, if you did, you stood up and threw your ball down and walked off the field. Everybody would be going, what are you doing? You can't just walk off the field. Think of yourself the same way. Get back in the game. Pick that ball up again. And maybe you got pushed back 40 yards. But work together. Be strategic. Know your information, your facts. 
and go out there, pick the ball up, and make a play again. You might be surprised that you rush 80 yards, and you might be surprised you're actually going to make a field goal. You're going to make a touchdown. Go do it again. Yeah, you, you framed your book as a permission slip for people to go and do their activism themselves. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping the transitive property works with the show, right? <laughs> like, so since we have people who are listening to this also also have permission. Um, but it, it feels like one of the big lessons of your book is that you have to have stamina to go through lots of processes that are boring and uh, oh, dif right. dif difficult <laughs> and they're a grind. And there's, I think a lot of young people have a, a, an idea of act activism as something that's like sexy and exciting and yeah. delivers immediate results. But the, the, the lesson of your career, it feels like to me, is that you, you have to outwork and outlast companies that have enormous amounts of resources to, to stretch the problem out. Um, and how do people do that? And what, what, what's the, or is that an important lesson that people have to understand that when you, when you pick these fights, they're going to take a while. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you have to, you, I can't get involved in every single fight across this country. Again, Superman's not coming. I need to engage you and all of us and when we work together i clearly see that it works and i i can't be everywhere at once either but oftentimes when you you know like writing the letter in the guardian i i, I couldn't let it go I, I just i couldn't and you know for me <clears throat> i grew up as a dyslexic so I don't like to be put in a box or labeled or judged or perceived. And I've learned in my communities, frankly, nobody does, right? But that process has actually happened to most of us. So we've stopped tuning into our own instincts that we know, but we don't want to listen to. And we've let a lot of negativity and ideas and labels and judgments and perceptions get stuck on us. And I, I learned very early on as a kid, it's like, you know, getting up octopus tentacle just sucking it off of me with those ideas because I know who I am. And I think we've lost ourselves. We have always been taught, oh, something or a hero will come protect us. <laughs> you know, my joke is I learned very early on Prince Charming wasn't coming either. Yeah. But to believe in myself. Um, and here's a trick to believing in yourself. It's okay to be flawed. It's okay to be imperfect. That's what makes us great. My vulnerability of dyslexia became my greatest gift. To embrace who you are. And it's not easy to do and it's scary. And I see that same process playing itself out in every community I'm in. But when they have that support and when they bring it home, and I talk about logic, leverage, loyalty, and love. It's a program I have. Logic's your common sense. And, you know, we're taught not to use it or we're told if we do, oh, you're crazy, go away. But it, it's really true. And common sense is like, my growing up in Kansas, when I'm outside playing and the sky turns green, it's the power of observation. Um, being present, you can feel a change and the tornado sirens go off. I'm not going to call the weather channel to ask if it's an F4 or an F5. I know that I need to get to safety. So it's about owning again our instincts and your common sense. It's amazing. People say, use your logic. That's your common sense. When you follow your common sense, you often logically do the right thing. Leverage, that's about joining your community together. It works and it can be done. 
Loyalty is that stick-to-itiveness, staying true to that cause, and being willing to see it through to the end. A definition of stick-to-itiveness, propensity to follow through in a determined manner. Dogged persistence born of obligation and stubbornness. I don't know one of us that isn't that way. And ultimately, we've been living these past four years it what feels to be certainly not something of concern and love. We've, we've, we've gotten angry. We have gotten upset. I don't know if we've been repressed. We've turned hateful. But I want all of us to ask ourselves at the end of the day, what is your motivator? We are all living in this life that is just Fun, faster and faster, out of control, and we've just crashed. It's like a crash and a burn is happening. But ask yourself, why do we participate in this? Why do we get up every day and go through a grind of work or get through our bad times or be there for a sick family member? Because every single one of us wants to have the American dream and own our home and have a job and send our kids to college and watch our children walk down the aisle and, and be able to see your first grandchild born like I did, which completely renewed me. It's born of love. And I'm hopeful that we can somehow get back to the core of who all of us are and the fight that all of us have that shouldn't divide us, that should bring us together. And that is clean water, good land, this planet, our environment that we all call home and we all wish to raise healthy children and future generations and have a good life. And that will never happen if we continue on the track that we've been on. How bad is there any, what's the fastest way to quantify how dire the emergency is with water uh, for, for people who maybe are, because what's so interesting is that the, the, there's been a ton of talk about environmentalism in the last four years, but it's, it tends to be focused on climate change. Correct. Uh, and, but this, this is a problem that's happening like immediately. And, you know, in a lot of communities, it's, a, it's right. already an emergency. How, how, right. how what's, if you're for if you're talking to somebody who's never dealt with this issue before, what's the first stat that you would recite to them to to impress upon them how serious it is? It's overwhelming. It's serious. I think it's that moment where you need to stop. And we always thought it would never be us, but it is you, and it probably already is is and to believe everything that we just talked about, that you can actually do something. So first of all, climate change uh, is going to, and is oftentimes, think about it, a water event or lack of water. I live on the West Coast. We are in a drought. We are having all kinds of issues with our water and fires. Um, more hurricanes causes more flooding, which interrupts the municipalities, which, you know, all the farmers or the, the CAFO farming, which is just an awful situation and all the manure that runs off that creates all these algal blooms and nitrification and more pollution to the water. All of these water events or lack of water are going to cause massive, massive economic problems, not to mention lost property and lost lives. Climate change is water. 
it will be water events. And to give you a few headlines, what startled me was an article that I even just read in Kansas, my home state. Well, before I go there, let me let me say this. So I talk about in the book, Superman's Not Coming at the End, in Cape Town, in South Africa. I think we all saw that they were going to run out of water. And what they did was they acknowledged what was happening. They collectively worked together as people with their governments, and they made the sacrifices and the rationing that they had to do to avoid what they called day zero. And they did just that. They took action. They worked together. They did the rationing necessary to divert a disaster. That's one thing that I don't see us doing. We have to take action now. So I read an article in Kansas, my home state. They are 35% into their day zero already. In less than 40 years, they may have no water in their aquifers. Are you kidding me? I'll talk about headline news here in California. More than half of our state is contaminated with the one chemical that we were just talking about in the beginning of this podcast, PFOS. the PFOA and PFOS. Oh, and our municipality in Los Angeles, and it's a big one, just lost their backup aquifer. They can't use anymore because it's so polluted. I mean, and these are just a few examples. And read the book, make it your job to look at communities in this country already who haven't had running water or access to clean water. What, what are we possibly thinking? We, it's real, it's not a joke, this isn't some conspiracy. This is a fact and it's happening. And what you need to do is get involved, uh, do your own research, have a conversation, um, just get involved. And consistently, we have to follow through, and we talked about this in the beginning. We, within our own parties, need to speak up and speak out when we see something going wrong. And it's not too late, but we cannot afford to keep kicking the can down the road. And, and here's something I want to, want to say. I'll never forget out in Hinkley, California. I was always pushed on. I'm still pushed on whatever. Oh, you're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer. You're not a scientist. You're not a politician. What do you know? And why are you saying anything? I do not have to be any of that. And I do not have to have that label or title to be a human and to want to live on this planet safely and happily. And to tell you that green water and two-headed frogs and chemical in our water and the loss of our aquifers and everything that you're watching unfold in front of you is normal. Be a human and you know what you see, you know what is wrong and stand up, get involved, find your courage and go out there. And I, I, I promise you, you're going to find out, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was going on. Oh my gosh, the light bulb comes on. Oh my gosh, I can be involved. I can do something. And 
I see it everywhere. And we talk about it in Superman's not coming. They're running for office. They're getting into city councils. They're learning some. It's amazing. You know, there was a great story, and I just talked about it on Twitter, in the Navajo Nation with an artist, and her name is Emma. And my gosh, she is delivering water to people that haven't had running water or failed infrastructure for years. It didn't take some big federal oversight or state oversight. And I know in their own nation, they got involved, the Navajo Nation, in finding ways to fundraise and develop and get people water. I, I'm telling you, I, I get very passionate about this. This is America 2020. There is no way, no way that I'm just gonna sit here and never say anything about what we've done to water, what we're losing with water, and that we must rise up and we can as individuals stop waiting we don't have time get involved get active you can do it your community can do it you are the change that we're going to need moving forward i'll be your best cheerleader you can email me all day long and i'm going to tell you where to go and what to do but it's going to start with you believing in who we as a people are again Thank you so much for coming yes, on. It's been so incredibly much. educational. Everybody should uh, should uh, should run out uh, and and buy your book. Yeah. Uh, Superman's not coming, and um, or order it very quickly. Order it very quickly. The and, uh, tune into the podcast. Yeah, all those things. Uh, so subscribe to her podcast. It's great. It was fun. Be warm good- yeah. up there. Thank you. <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll try. Oh, yeah. We'll try. All right. Okay. Take care now. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So that was great. It was so great. She's great. Feisty. No, she's cool. And like her, her, her history is, uh, it's kind of an amazing lesson in, I mean, it's, anyone who's seen the movie knows how that it can sound trite, but it's really not like she, it, you actually can be enough of a pain in the ass to really, really big, powerful companies that you, you can, you can, uh, alter their, uh, their futures and, and, uh, you know, really accomplish something. And she lays out a lot of those scenarios in the book. Uh, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Great, great interview. Uh, rate uh, and review us, please. Yes, yeah, subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe um, on YouTube. Hit subscribe, then hit the bell on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. You want to like us. Like, what is what did Trump say? Like um, us as much as we like us. As we like us, yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks for uh, for checking in, listening, and watching, and we'll uh, we'll see you again next week. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light podcast, wherever you get podcasts.